Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And our special guest this week... Jeff Abusi. Yeah, Jeff Abusi is. you want to explain your title? Uh, my title is uh, Secretary-Treasurer of the St. Louis Building and Construction Trades Council. Well, we represent, we are the umbrella organization for the uh, construction trade unions here in St. Louis region. I was, I was just going to say, I always like to say how we break ground on this show. We've had politicians, we've had consultants. We have, I think you're our first union leader, basically. Yes. Well, I'm honored. You yes. should be. So... <laughs> Although what what isn't Mike Colon or no I'm sorry uh, Jacob Hummel Jake, Jake Hummel is now a union leader but he's yes. also, also a state a representative yes. yeah and, okay. and he was here in his capacity as House Minority and apparently Very he's sure. a bang up electrician too yeah. so well why don't we start us off here by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got involved in your current job well I'm a 32 year member of. Uh, the Operating Engineers, Local 513. Uh, that union runs the heavy equipment for earth moving and does uh, the, the hoisting, the crane work that you see around town. Uh, but I've been in that union for over 30 years. Um, I was a business agent for the local union uh, for three and a half years before going on to the international as a uh, representative, which I covered the north central region of about 12 states. Uh, then, uh, four years ago, I joined the building trades after Jerry Feldhaus retired yeah. as secretary-treasurer. So for the last four years, I've been here in this current job, and it got me off the road of traveling and being away from family. So Now, the Abusi name is pretty prominent in politics and in government in the St. Louis area going back decades. Can you say which wing you're from? Well, I think we're all from the same wing. Uh, <laughs> There were eight boys and one girl in my dad's family, and uh, um, many of them were involved in the political arena in, in South St. Louis. Yes. Uh, naturally, it was followed by uh, my cousin, Marty Abusi, who yes. was the ninth ward alderman for years. Yes. And then how are you, are you, are you related to Joyce Abusi? Yeah, and Joyce and I are first cousins. Our dads were brothers. Okay, and Joyce Abusi is a major behind-the-scenes political player. Yes. What, what I think was basically Dick Gephardt's right-hand woman, essentially. Yes, she was. She was his national political director, but it has also a number of other people, and she has helped raise money for Hillary Clinton yeah. most recently. So what do you do in your, your role? What is kind of your, basically, <clears throat> role as secretary-treasurer? Well, uh, we do a number of things. Number one, our main focus is to promote union construction. Um, we manage uh, a number of contracts, uh, different labor agreements. So, you know, we get involved in, in politics, as Joe well knows, in trying to support issues that are pertinent to putting our men and women to work. Um, we, we continue to build relationships and to try to uh, put value on union construction in this town. Um, Again, many of our local unions are, are constantly training the next generation of workforce. So apprenticeship programs are a big part of what each and every local union does. Yeah, explain how apprenticeship programs work because uh, obviously it's become kind of an issue within the St. Louis County Executive's race. But before we get into that, kind of tell, tell us, our listeners, what your role is in that realm. Well, again, as Secretary-Treasurer, mm -hmm. we are the umbrella yeah organization for all the various trades. Um, and we are in the process right now of rolling out a new build union diversity program that will 
create the next generation of apprentices that hopefully will be gainfully employed for a long time in this region. As you all know, that we've experienced this terrible downturn in the last five to seven years, and we're just now starting to see some signs of the the regrowth of uh, of construction again. So, number one, we have plenty of journeymen that are still unemployed. Our first job is to make sure that they get back to full employment. We do have current apprentices that are on the rolls right now in our programs, get them to work second. And once that happens, we're constantly backfilling that capacity on a demand basis. So as contractors get busy, that kind of sets the pace for the market as to how many apprentices we need per trade, per the various industries. So that tells us the recruiting process because we always recruit. We always have apprenticeship programs going. However, the size of those programs slide up and down based upon the market demand. Now, um, during the legislative session, I was there the last week. You were there like every day out in the hall. And what were the key issues for you during the session, especially at the end? Because as most of us know, cover the General Assembly, there's a lot of stuff that gets approved or rejected at the very end that last week. So, Joe, kind of like the last two minutes of the basketball game where it's all decided in the last two minutes, that's kind of the last <laughs> yeah. week, right? So well, through the session, I mean, we were definitely concerned about right to work, paycheck deception, any type of prevailing wage bills, which there were numerous uh, bills of all three of those categories. And then also there were some economic development bills that were near and dear to our hearts, such as the transportation bill, because those things uh, weigh heavily on putting the masses of the basic trades to work. So transportation was of concern to us. Um, we think it had a positive outcome from the legislative standpoint. Now, this is the to putting it on the ballot. <clears throat> yes, yes. I mean, that's step one. Right. So we were interested in that in the last week because that happened in, what, the last three days, two days, I think. Uh, and you're always concerned, like you say, of that last attachment that gets put on the last bill before the 601 uh, clock ticks. And uh, were there... Were there any major disappointments for you, either from the session or what the governor signed or vetoed? Yesterday was the deadline well, for his action. You know, we are a little disappointed that the time frame in which the transportation bill got placed on the August ballot, um, you know, we were not thinking that that was the best scenario for that transportation bill to go and, and to formulate a positive campaign. But it is what it is, and we'll deal with that. Um I think the economic development uh, climate in Jeff City this year, we were hoping that there would be some more jobs bills. Uh, we would have liked to see the, the the university spending bill, that bonding bill, be a little more. Um, so, like I say, I don't think that what they did even on the transportation tax, we were hoping that the one cent would have came out of the Senate and wound up in the House. But uh, those are some of the things that were important to us. What would you say is sort of the breakdown between, like, offense and defense is is, is your job? Break, you know, defense being a bill that you perceive as bad and trying to make sure that it doesn't pass. Well, I think the relationships that we have built in the last few years in the legislature uh, were critical. N- number one, um, a great deal of our members vote for the GOP. I mean, probably 30 percent of them. Um, number, so you have to have those relationships on the opposite side of the aisle. Um, through the years, we've seen 
economic development bills that have come, and I know you said you're going to see Dan Meehan shortly. They've come to us on different things like Boeing last year. Mm -hmm. Um, The China Hub created a lot of attention a few years back to try to get something to stimulate the China Hub bill. But labor played a role in all those. And I think you're seeing us being more engaged in economic development for the state and not just labor bills. So, I mean, they really are our partners. When those things happen, it puts our contractors, our developers to work, which in turn puts our members to work. Now, there were some bills that may be seen as hostile to labor, as the aforementioned right to work, the the paycheck bill. It does seem, though, that there has been this bumper crop of Republican legislators, especially in Jeffco, but all over the state, including St. Charles <laughs> County, who seem to be very receptive to labor issues. In fact, I was just interviewing Chuck Gastenberger today, who voted against right to work, which seems to me to be a sign that labor's power has grown in a Republican stronghold like St. Charles. Is that is that been your view as well? Jason, I think it has, but I, I think that these people have really did some searching inside their district. And I think many of these uh, state reps and senators have reached out to their district to see what the makeup of their district is, and they've engaged them in some polling and some review and their opinion as to what's the most important things for them to be working on. And to creating a right-to-work bill seems to me like uh, people did their homework and their constituents spoke because there was tons of surveys going around and they asked to say, hey, look, what do you think? Should I be voting on this? How should I vote? Is this important? What's more important to you? I think if you look back at every survey that was done by a legislator, they see that job creation was probably at the highest priority. Funding education was top priorities. But we have made some inroads. Uh, some of these people all have relations or in-laws or brother-in-laws that were union tradesmen and women or participated in a union. So. You know, I, I don't think we're really that far off. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned that you work with the Missouri Chamber and some other business groups on certain things. In fact, you were talking before we came on the air about some of the business groups actually had been on the same side of you with Right to Work, although there was a lot of others like the Missouri Chamber and Associated Industries who actually supported Right to Work. Uh, what, what was the source of, I guess, the division? I mean, that some were with you and some weren't. Well, again, I think that there's been a disconnect from other states that have brought their agenda nationwide. I know the ALEC agenda has pushed a lot of legislators. I know it's pushed a lot of different organizations to uh, make Missouri think that right to work is going to be this uh, golden egg that automatically changes the, uh, the landscape of Missouri and creates all kind of jobs and I don't think when our legislators in Missouri really did the drill down on the actual data, I think that they found that there was some conflicting data, and that's not the case. So did that divide some of the Republicans that chose to stand with us? Maybe. Uh, but I really think their constituents spoke. I think they spoke loudly. Do you think that there's going to be – let's say under a scenario where there's a Republican governor like Tom Schweik or Catherine Hannaway or Blaine Luke DeMeyer or any other Republican – if they end up winning the governor's race in 2016, do you think that the push for right to work is going to be more serious than it has been in a couple of years because they wouldn't have to, you know, scrounge up the votes to override a veto that aren't going to be there? What's kind of your thoughts on that potential <clears throat> scenario? I think that makes the opportune landscape 
for that type of legislation to advance when they can when they have super majorities in both chambers and they have the governor's mansion that gives them a clear pathway to move their agenda if that chooses to be it um and I think that the the fact that we had a governor that was very vocal on how he would veto anti-worker legislation prohibited them from doing that. That's why they chose the ballot initiative. Yeah, I expect if that ended up occurring, there would be like the mother of all filibusters in the Senate. And I wonder if the prohibition on the previous question would end there um, in that scenario. But we're talking hypotheticals. we got to go through an election first. Exactly. So have you guys picked a horse? I mean, are you guys going to go with Chris Coster? I think you'll see all of labor uh, continue to rally with uh, Chris Coster. I mean, he was uh, uh, someone who we helped when he ran for attorney general, and I don't look for that to change. No. So, but, so the fact that he used to be a Republican doesn't cause any problem. He was a pro, no. pretty pro-labor Republican. He was very vocal and filibustered on the floor, uh, along with other Democrats on prevailing wage issues. So uh, Chris has definitely earned his stripes with the labor community. What about some of the other Republican statewides? I know that Eric Schmidt and Kurt Schaefer, who are both announced statewide candidates, have received labor support <laughs> for their respective races. Obviously, Eric Schmidt had no opponent in 12, so that makes sense. But Kurt Schaefer did have an opponent. He got a lot of labor endorsements. Is it possible that maybe they get unexpected support from labor when they run statewide in, in a couple years? Well, that that's definitely possible. I think we also have another legislative session that stands in the way of, you know, the election cycle. And I think, you know, how they demonstrate to be friends of labor will determine in to what level uh, people rally around those guys. Eric Schmitz is a very, very effective senator, He and he's done a very good job. Uh, I know the latest rumor is that he's he's going to be running for treasurer. It's not yeah. really a rumor it's anymore. Not a rumor. He's, he's announced. A, he's announced. Uh, maybe he hadn't filed yet, but he's announced. Yeah, he's so, announced. Uh, but Eric Eric's a, a good legislator, and, and definitely I would consider a moderate. Now, getting closer. Yeah, we got to, we're, we're election, thinking way ahead. We've got election three weeks from now, and the labor also is has been a player. And the question is, how big of a player you'll be in the final weeks of the. Uh, Hot contest for St. Louis County Executive between incumbent Charlie Dooley and challenger um, Steve Stanger in the Democratic primary. Can you talk about, A, why uh, labor seems to have or at least split or if not abandoned Dooley entirely? And what will you be doing in the final weeks as far as Stanger? Well, first thing, Joe, to to find out how involved we are with uh, Steve Stanger. I think if you you look at his campaign finance reports, you know exactly – how engaged we are, and we are very, very, very engaged and uh, committed to that election. Um, and why we left? We left because we didn't feel that Charlie uh, Dooley was uh, fulfilling his promises to labor. I mean, we've seen more and more and more uh, contracts go to uh, non-union, out-of-state contractors. Um, we've had legislation that were passed last year by ordinances by uh, County Councilman Michael Mara that is yet to be even enforced. So, I mean, unfortunately, uh, the county, the current county executive has, has basically ditched us. So we, we've chosen another path. And I think we'll be very, very successful on August 5th. What do you make of this recent situation with the minority goals? Because I think that that kind of had an organized labor element to it because of the apprenticeship threshold 
were you guys involved with that behind the scenes? And what did you kind of make of that entire situation that I guess is still unfolding right now? Well, if, if you look at the, the bill that was passed by uh, Michael Mara, they had very high apprenticeship and minority goals in them. Um, and again, while they tried to create a bill to eliminate apprentices within, in raising a threshold, mm-hmm. this was done by executive order by uh, County Executive Dooley some years ago. He was the one that said, this is perfect. This, this is a good fit. And now, 12 months later, has changed courses. Look, we are so committed to diversity in the construction industry. It is changing by the day. I mean, we're constantly working on new programs to uh, promote inclusion. We, we do have some major, major projects going around the city of St. Louis that uh, we've embraced the diversity studies that have been done by MSD a couple years ago. We didn't even know what they were going to be as far as what the numbers were. And we said, look, regardless of the outcome, we're in. We're going to do this by trade. We're all going to agree, the carpenters, the laborers, and all the affiliates of the building trades, whatever the study shows, we'll buy into it on the workforce side. Mm-hmm. So we don't really create contractors, mm-hmm. but we can control the boots on the ground. The argument from Dooley and Hazel Irby about the $25,000 apprenticeship threshold for contractors was that threshold is so low that contractors that are predominantly minority and female – would be essentially shut out because a lot of them are non-unionized or use non-union labor. What do you kind of make of that argument? Well, there are some bona fide non-union apprenticeship programs that are run and administered by the ABC. Mm-hmm. So this is not a union issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know County Executive Dooley and people around this region have been talking about this decay of the workforce and where are we going to get the next generation of workers because they're supposedly going to be in such limited supply. Well, if you're going to make those type of of, of concerns and and uh, and statements of you know we are in we're going to be needing to replenish, why would you not want contractors to have bona fide apprenticeship programs, regardless of whether they're union or non-union? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, Joe, what are you going to say? Well, so uh, after the primary, whoever you back uh, or whether Stinger wins or loses, you're going to have to gear up. I'm assuming you guys will be opposing um, whoever wins the Republican primary for county executive. Uh, are you prepared to continue your involvement financially and otherwise um, going into the fall? Because there are some Republicans who predict that the bruising fight between Stinger and Dooley will put their winner, whether it's Pasusa or Rick Stream, at an advantage. Well, I would assume that everybody will stay the course with uh, with Steve Stanger when he wins in August uh, 5th. But I will say um, I've had the pleasure of working with Rick Stream in the Missouri House, you know, this last few legislative sections. Rick's a very nice man. He does a good job. So, But I don't believe that you will see any labor support for anything other than the Democrat moving forward in this county executive Well, race. suppose Dooley wins. Will you guys – Go back to him or what? That's a good question. Maybe we need to come back and revisit that later on. Do you think that, you know, if he ends up winning, he might be even kind of lash out at organized labor even more because he didn't support him this time well, around? Jason, I don't know how much more he can lash out. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he's he, he's proven that uh, he doesn't uh, relish the the relationship that he had that got him elected the last time. 
And just to give you a quick history on the last election of Charlie Dooley, Charlie Dooley was in serious trouble in the last election. 2010. Yeah, 2010, going into the last three weeks. And Labor put together a pretty good ground troop swell to comb South County and North County. And you saw the outcome and you saw where the votes came in from at the last minute. That didn't happen by accident. And to say that Labor has never done anything for him, well, I know one thing. We got him elected in 2010. So would you consider <clears throat> not doing that this time around? I think that's for all leaders to come together and talk about on the 6th. Mm. So will you be doing that sort of thing for Stanger the last few weeks? You no, know, we're doing it right now and have been. So okay. we're continuing to ramp up and continuing to provide troops door knocking as well as fundraising, which you've I'm sure have seen. Well, but, we'll uh, know when the we'll reports be come out. Yeah, there's so, not yeah. there. They haven't been filed yet. <laughs> so, uh, but you've got the other issue, the transportation tax, which you were talking about earlier. That's uh, correct. I mean, so you also are doing that at the same time. We are, but I, I think it's a different type of campaign. It's not as labor intensive. I think it's more unintended direct mail <laughs> communicating with your members, uh, that type of stuff. I know a lot of the locals have have raised a lot of money yes, for the transportation Very tax. much so. Um, I think the operating engineers have yes. donated lots and lots Over of money. $200, and Over $200,000. Over three hundred. I would say – okay. And I would say it's fair to say that a lot of contractors that may benefit from five point what $5.4 billion worth of work over 10 years, they've also pitched in as well. It so. needs to be done. I mean, that that is something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, the roads and bridges are crumbling. And everybody says that there's other ways to do it. But unfortunately, out of our legislature this year, that's the path they chose. It's, this has been a fascinating political issue to watch because it is not broken down on traditional Republican-Democratic lines or you know, traditional interest groups line, as you kind of alluded to before, the Chamber of Commerce, the St. Louis Regional Chamber, a lot of labor unions are behind this. A lot of Republicans and Democrats are behind it. But you also have this coalition of, you know, the left and the right who have come out against this for various reasons. And while they haven't raised a lot of money, my question is, is that opposition coalition that may be kind of brewing between the, between the surface could that be enough to derail this, especially since Missouri is not – Missouri voters tend not to vote for tax increases that often? I think it's going to be a difficult race. I think it's going to be very uh, – it's going to be a very heavy lift. Um, I think voter turnout is going to be critical. Um, and I think the messaging in the last two weeks hopefully will get people um, – will be the incentive to get people out to, to vote for this Amendment 7. Now, the governor, of course, has been against <clears throat> Amendment 7. How does that – I mean, because uh, the governor and labor traditionally have been on the same side. How has that strained your relationship or affected your relationship? Joe, I don't believe that it's affected our relationship with the governor. I mean, he has his his uh, his viewpoints on, on what should happen and shouldn't happen, and, and we have ours on this. Um, I think that, um, once again, I think we got a serious issue with uh, roads and bridges and, and highways and rebuilding 70 that needs to move forward. Um, and I have not uh, heard of an alternative plan just yet on how he would approach it if this if this does not make it at the ballot. If this doesn't end up passing, I think that there's some fear that there may not be another transportation funding proposal for a long time. I mean, the last one that was put forward, I think, was in 2004, which I think was a redirection of the sales tax and a bonding initiative that passed 
two years before, it was something not exactly similar to this, but there were tax increases for transportation that failed miserably. Is there kind of a fear among your group that if this doesn't pass, <laughs> you know, there may not be another opportunity like this for a long time? I think it's a very, very uh, strong possibility. Um, this morning, I was at the Board of Aldermen uh, testifying against their resolution uh, on this transportation bill because they they are totally against it. <clears throat> they were talking about how it would impact their wards and their elderly people. Um, but again, I think there is limited information that's passed down to these people as far as, you know, the little 80-year-old lady that uh, is worried about her grocery bill, that's not going to affect her grocery bill. It's not going to affect her u- her utility bill or her, uh, her pharmacy uh, bill. So there's a lot of things that aren't being really conveyed. And I heard a, a statistic today that it would cost the average person about three cents per day mm-hmm. extra. Yeah. And I think that when you look at saying, well, why don't you just raise the gas tax or the fuel surcharge, that gets passed along to us, and it also gets passed along to the commodities that we buy at the grocery store. So the 80-year-old woman would be affected if it was done the other way. Now, just to play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, adding 0.75% of the state's sales tax is going to raise the sales tax in some parts of the St. Louis region over 11%, which – obviously is kind of the responsibility of those local jurisdictions that put those taxes in place. But when you say a statistic like that, it's kind of jarring to believe that even if it's not toward food or medicine, it's still going to be a pretty high sales tax. Is that kind of a concern that voters may see that and be (laughs) kind of not as enthusiastic about that prospect? You know, I think maybe when they see the, uh, the decay of our roads, and see physical pictures of some of our bridges that transport our children to and from school, maybe they'll look at things in a little different light. And I think that public safety is 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 a component of this. Mm-hmm. You seem pretty confident that Stinger would come out ahead. Do you share that confidence with this transportation sales tax, or do you think it's, it's going to be a long shot? Um, I don't know if it's a long shot, but I do think that there's still a lot of work to be done. And uh, I think that one will go all the way to the wire, in just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, will it be affected by some of the other re- um, statewide in- initiatives that are going to be on the ballot, like the gun one and the farm one? Is that going to affect it all as far as turnout? You know, I don't know. I know I saw today where the Cattlemen's Association came out in favor of Proposition or Amendment 7. Mm-hmm. Um, does that help when they can vote yes for that and vote yes for 7? I would think it does. Um, so maybe uh, check marks of yeses all the way down the ballot box may may help. Yeah. Now the League of Women Voters came out against it. Uh, well, they came out against all of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, does that kind of stuff affect it, or do you think it's more getting the message out, getting the mailers, getting TV ads? I think it's a, a composition of all of those things. I think that the game has to be TV, mail. It needs to be all the community groups that are out there talking. And uh, I'm not too sure that the League of Women Voters, uh, even though they took a position on it, that if every one of their members absolutely say, no, this is definitely something that we don't want to do. I think there's going to be a lot of people that say, hey, look, this is a heavy lift. 11%, like you talked about, is, is a scary number. But the fact is, we want something. We have to pay for it. Yeah. Now, McCaskill has come out reluctantly in favor of it. Do you expect her to be out there campaigning for it, or are there going to be other major people campaigning in that last Joe, few Joe, I haven't heard who their 
their surrogates are that are going to be out there uh, stumping for this. Uh, okay. That would be great. That would be great if she did. Now, just kind of looking ahead, just kind of our last topic, you know, because uh, Tom Schweik essentially got a pass from the Democratic Party. It seems for like state auditor. For state auditor. It seems like the main events as far as <laughs> besides the county executive race are some state Senate contests, one in Jefferson County, one in St. Charles County that's going on right now, one that's going on in central St. Louis uh, County, and maybe the one in northeast Missouri. Now, as I kind of alluded to before, some of the Republicans that are running are trying to kind of curry support with labor, like, for example, Paul Wheeland in Jefferson County, um, several of the St. Charles County uh, candidates, and Jeannie Riddle, who voted against right to work. Some are not. How does your group kind of see those races and how and whether to support or get involved? Yeah, in those? and how active are you? Yeah. Well, I think um, in years past, we had um, – a motto of philosophical giving to con- to uh, candidates. I think today labor has become more strategic. And I think for us to be successful on our agendas, we have to be very strategic in who we support for various candidates. I think that certain races that can't win, I think that you're going to see certain labor organizations sit on the sidelines. Um, but I do think uh, people are becoming more strategic in these alliances that we've made uh, with our with our political people, and I think it's good business. It's a business decision today. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, those are going to be the biggest games in town come November because Tom Schweik, the auditor, does not have an opponent. So that's very true. Well, I'll close this out here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. Jason, you can be followed on Twitter. Jay Rosenbaum. Joe, you can be followed on Twitter. At Jay Manis, it's J M A N N I E S. And you can be followed on Twitter. I as can, well. and it is S T L Construction. Very good. Um, I should add that um, as we've been referencing throughout the show, uh, the campaign finance reports come out today, and I'm sure that. Probably by the time you're listening to this, Joe already has a story up. So you can... Yeah, hopefully. As of right now, there aren't many that have been turned in, but <laughs> yes. they, they all wait for the deadline. Exactly. As, as of 2.46 p.m. on, on Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, you can go to STL Public Radio to read all of our stories, and we'll be back next week. Until then, so long.